Hi there, this is Darren Spoo, pastor at First Baptist Church in Tulsa, and welcome to our weekly message podcast. We would invite you to join us in person Sunday morning at 8.30 and 11 o'clock in downtown Tulsa, or check out our webpage at tulsafbc.org. God bless you, and have a great week. So I enjoy thinking about things that we don't think to think about. Let me try that again because I don't know that you understood that. I enjoy thinking about things that we don't think to think about. And let me give an example. Question mark. You ever wonder where the question mark comes from? The easy answer is no, you haven't. But I enjoy thinking about things that we don't think to think about. And the question mark actually has a very interesting history. We use it all the time, but we don't think about where it comes from. So the question mark, actually it took 700 years to get into its final form between 700 A.D. and 1400 A.D. People writing wanted to have this way of expressing when there was an inflection of a question, but the original question mark didn't look like this at all. It actually looked like a lightning flash with a period at the end of it. It looked a whole lot more like Harry Potter's scar than it did this, which I find to be interesting because a good question, what should it do? It should bring a flash of insight. So over time, the edges were softened, it was turned around just a bit, and we have this today, which I find the question mark interesting because it looks a whole lot like a human ear, doesn't it? And a good question should cause us to lean in and listen. So I want to start this year in the first teaching series of the year. By the way, it's, it's, this is an untitled teaching series. Here's the title right here. I want to start it with a question, and I came across this question while reading a book from Jim Cimbala one of his recent books. You might know his name. He's pastor at Brooklyn Tabernacle in New York. But in passing in his book, he asked this question, and it brought that flash of insight, and it caused me to stop and listen. And the question is this, what is the Holy Spirit saying to our church today? What is the Holy Spirit saying to our church today. Now, for those of you who just tensed up a little bit and say, oh, we're talking about the church today, but I have some needs, I have some problems going on in my life, I need to hear from God, you will. But I want to remind you the word church and the word disciple, we are called to be disciples of Jesus. Those are synonyms. Just one is plural and one is singular. Church is a group of disciples. A, a disciple is a part of a larger group called the church. So, I want us to explore this question, what is the Holy Spirit saying to our church, to you, to us today? And I'd like to think for the 25 years that I've been a pastor, 22 of those here, I'd like to think I'm listening. I think I've been listening a whole lot more in the last two years as the whole world has been turned upside down. So with this teaching series, my invitation to you is not just that you would listen to me, and by the way, would you please listen to me? <laughs> but would you also be listening with me? What is the Holy Spirit saying to us, our church, today? So I'm going to start with something pretty simple. And I think this is something the Holy Spirit is saying to our church and has been saying to our church for nearly uh, well, over 20, 125 years. We are called to be an unapologetically urban church. Now, that may not be where you thought we would start, but really, if we're listening to the Holy Spirit, He has called our church to be unapologetically urban. Who knows why, but 125 years ago, when 
People got together, and by the way, it's called First Baptist because it was kind of the first Baptist work in this area. They planted right here in downtown. And in fact, you're worshiping in a spot this morning where Christians have gathered for over a hundred years to worship right here on this spot. That's a powerful thing to consider. And for some reason, in God's providence and God's plan, He called us to be an urban church, unapologetically so. And here's my prevailing image of what that looks like. You've experienced this before. It gets hot in the summer, you water your lawn, but your grass turns brown anyway. You know that feeling? But even when the grass in your lawn is turning brown, for some reason those green sprigs of grass always grow in the cracks of the driveway. Have you ever noticed this? How does that happen? And actually there's a physical reason as to why that happens. I'll explain it to you later. But it's, you know, I put a lot of water over here. I never water my driveway, but the grass is green right there. That's my image of this church, that here in this crack of asphalt in downtown Tulsa, something's growing, and we are called to be unapologetically urban. So I'm going to ask you to turn with me to Jeremiah chapter 29. As you turn to Jeremiah 29, I'm going to give you some history here in just a minute. But I want to be very careful as we read the Scripture. When you read Scripture, you got to be careful not to read your situation into the Scripture, but to let Scripture speak into your situation. Does that make sense? We, we need to be very careful as we unpack this this morning. We need to make sure that we're not reading our situation into what happens in Jeremiah 29, but we let Jeremiah 29 speak into our situation of being an unapologetically urban church. Quick background, this happened 600 years before Jesus. The Israelites had been disobedient to God, so God brought in the Babylonians, a pagan power, to conquer Israel, and the Babylonians had already taken some of the higher officials into exile, back to Babylon. Now, this is important. Jerusalem is still there. The temple is still there. In fact, Jeremiah writes this letter from Jerusalem to these Babylonian exiles, okay? In fact, that's basically what the first part of Jeremiah 29 says. It says this. This is the text of the letter that the prophet Jeremiah sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders among the exiles and to the priests, to the prophets, to all the other people Nebuchadnezzar had carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Here's the question. How do you live when exile is your assignment? How do you live when exile is your assignment. Now, in a way, here we are as a church, we're kind of exiled, we're here in this urban setting, but I want to talk about you for just a minute. How do you live if exile is your assignment? Right now, some of you are working in a place you cannot stand. It's a dark place. It's a difficult place. Why has God put me here? Right now, exile is your assignment. For some of you, it's your home life. You didn't want a divorce. You didn't ask for it, but that's what you have, or you're in a miserable marriage, or there's a child that you've been praying for for years, and you just haven't seen any change. You haven't seen any results. How do you deal with it when an ongoing exile is your assignment? What do you do if your body is failing you, and you're dealing with an ongoing illness, and try as you may, you just cannot get better? What do you do when your heart is broken 
and exile is your assignment. How do you live? That's what Jeremiah 29 is talking about. It also applies to, to how do you live in any difficult situation, whether as a church or as a disciple, okay? So I want you to notice, and here's the excerpt from the letter. We're going to read two paragraphs. Verses 4 through 9 is how to live in the present, what you need to do right now. And then verses 10 through 14 is what do you do ongoing into the future, okay? Now, spoiler alert here, that second paragraph contains a very popular verse of Scripture that is often taken completely out of context, all right? Just a spoiler alert on that. So what do you do right now when exile is your assignment? Verse 4. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all of those who are carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons. Give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number and do not decrease. Here's the first thing you do when exile is your assignment. You get to work. There was a prevailing thought that, oh, this exile is just going to be temporary. We're going to find out in a minute. It's not. But, oh, this, this difficult season is going to be o- over in no time. No, God says, get to work. I'm not asking you to settle, but I'm asking you to settle in. This is going to be a while. And get to work. So let me apply this to you as an individual first. If exile is your assignment, you're in a place in life that you don't like. You know what you do? You do the next right thing. You look what God has put in front of you. You don't like the circumstance. You don't like where you are. But you do the next right thing, whatever that looks like. You listen to God, and then you do it. Get to work. What does that mean for us as a church? That means, even in downtown with all the challenges of doing urban ministry, and and it is a challenge. So downtown, we deal with dirty streets. We deal with challenging people downtown all around. We deal with a lot of complications of being an early church, a downtown church, an urban church. What do you do? You just get to work because with those obstacles also come some opportunities. Do you realize that from here in downtown Tulsa, we have the opportunity to change the world if we ever forget that, that this church can have a global impact, then we have forgotten what it means to be a called disciple and a collective church of Jesus Christ. And let me give you an example. Five years ago, I threw out an idea. Hey, with our missions offering every year, let's build a compassion center somewhere around the globe. It works alongside a church to bring children in, nourishment, hygiene, education, introducing them to Christ. My idea was, hey, in 10 years, let's build one every year, and let's put a compassion center somewhere on the planet. So we actually were operating a little ahead of schedule. You know, last year, 2022, we said, let's, our fifth year, let's build a compassion center in Sri Lanka. That was actually number six. So we were running a little bit ahead. There's a longer story there. What I share next is not about an individual. It's about us. This person who contacted me as a part of our church and said, I'm so taken with what we're doing. Could we build another compassion center this year? And so not only did we collectively build a compassion center in Sri Lanka, but this individual said, let's build one in the Philippines, let's build one in Ethiopia, let's build one in Tanzania, let's build one in Togo. In 10 years, excuse me, in five years, we have now built 10 compassion centers in five years. I hope you celebrate that with me. 
And it's not about money. For each one of these compassion centers, there are hundreds of kids coming in. Let's just be conservative. Each compassion center has 200 kids at any point in time. That's 2,000 kids whose lives are being changed. You know what? Let's get to work. Let's do more of that through our caring center. Let's do that through compassion. Let's send a team to the Philippines to invest in some young ladies' lives. Let's get to work. It's hard, but I don't know about you. Sometimes I enjoy doing hard things. Not all the time, but sometimes. Get to work. Okay. Then here's the next thing you do. Build houses, settle down. Just because you're settling in doesn't mean you're settling. Stay, be where you are. Verse 7, also seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I've carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it. Because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Listen to that. Seek the peace and prosperity of the city. Here we are in an urban church. You ever wonder why God puts us here? I know it's not the most convenient place in Tulsa. Some of you drive from Glenpool and Bixby and all over. We, there's kind of a countywide impact here. But I believe one of the reasons God has called us here to be a light to the entire Tulsa metro area, Tulsa County, and pray for everything that we see around us. And I have nothing against a community church, okay? But a community church tends to be in that one neighborhood, in that one area. Here we are in our crack of asphalt to have... <laughs> I should not have said that. I'm so sorry. <laughs> to have an outsized impact. My gosh. <laughs> Later, you're going to see me this next week with a spot right here. I will be doing this all week. Here we are in our little place downtown to have an impact to pray. Here's the best thing I taught in 2022. We're moving on. Here's the best thing I taught in 2022. Don't plan to pray, pray. Do it right now. Okay. We live in a world that values violence. We are called to be people of peace. Let me do a little quick show and tell. Here's a basketball card. Uh, a friend of mine on staff has uh, two of these. He didn't give me one, but he's got two of them. <laughs> Mark Jackson, he played uh, back in the 90s. I think he's a coach today. This, he wasn't a spectacular player, but this card's worth quite a bit because if you look just to the left of the basketball, let's zoom in. There's the Menendez brothers right there. They killed their parents in 1989. And that's what makes this card valuable because it has violent offenders on it. Listen, we live in a world that we value violence. It soaks in our entertainment. It's in all of our video games. It saturates our news. And in the middle of it all, you and I are called to be people who wage a war of peace. Shalom. It's a word that means wholeness, and it's, it's not the absence of conflict. It's the presence of calm in the midst of that conflict. What do you do when exile is your assignment? You work. You pray. By the way, God may have planted you in your workplace and in your family and in this situation so you can pray. He might have brought you down physically so you could spend less time doing things and running here and there and more time praying. One more thing to do in the present. Yes, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. 
Do not let the prophets and diviners among you deceive you. They're all saying, exile is going to be short. We're going to be back home before you know it. Do not listen to their dreams that you encourage them to have. They are prophesying lies to you in my name. I have not sent them. Last thing you do in the present moment when exile is your assignment, you work, you pray, you wait. You trust God that he has you in the situation for however long he wants you to be there. Not because you're being punished or because you've been bad, but because he wants to form Christ in you. So you stay put. And I'm so proud of this church. Even before I came and after I came, we made a decision several times. Do we leave downtown? Do we stay here? This is where God's planted us. Let's stay right here. And we wait. And we work. And we pray. So now what about the future? So the next paragraph, and this is all about how you um, endure exile. But here's the future. This is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed in Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my good promises to bring you back. You can almost hear the breath go out of people's lungs here. 70 years? God created the heavens and the earth in seven days. And God's going to take an infinitely longer amount of time to develop his people. Yes, it's seven and 70 is a creation number. I'm creating something brand new. And if we knew what this verse really meant, we would not use it as your life verse. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Are you kidding me? Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. And you will call on me and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me with you when you seek me with all of your heart. Here's Jeremiah's big idea. It was revolutionary for his day. We take it for granted now. But back then, it was believed if you wanted to be near God, you had to be in Jerusalem, and you had to be in the temple. That's where you went to go meet with God. Here are all these people. Not only are they not in the temple, not in Jerusalem, they're not in Israel. They're in exile. And God says, you know what? I'm there with you too. When exile is your assignment, you never forget in fact, we sang it over ourselves and we'll sing it again. Jesus said, when I'm lost, he will come to me. He comes to us. So, 70 years is a long time. There's a couple of things to guard yourself against. One is discouragement. So, I'm not saying our church is an exile, but sometimes it feels that way, being in a downtown environment. It's a challenging environment to be in. And so, one of the things we need to guard against, and, and for you individually, if you feel like exile is your assignment, one thing to guard against is discouragement. Seventy years is a long time. We have to guard against discouragement. Um, how many of, of you, you love the stations that did Christmas songs 24 hours a day, 24 days a week? Raise your hand if you loved all that Christmas music stuff. Raise your hand if you were glad Christmas was over for no other reason that the radio stations went back to normal. Let me see your hands. Okay. I love you guys. You're awesome. There's so, and by the way, I, I ran across this. The three most overplayed Christmas songs. Hang on. I'll find it. Santa Baby. <laughs> Grandma Got Run Over by a Reindeer. 
You know, after you listen to that song the 10,000th time, you start to be glad Grandma got run over by that reindeer. She had it coming, right? And I saw Mommy kissing Santa Claus. Ugh, I'm so glad Christmas is over. I say all that because there are some songs that are overused, and there are some quotes that are overused. This one by Theodore Roosevelt is often overused, but dadgummit, every time I hear it, every time I read it, I go, that is right. It is not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of the deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who is actually in the arena, whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood, who strives valiantly who errs and comes up short again and again because there is no effort without error or shortcoming, but who knows the great enthusiasms, the great devotions, who spend themselves in a worthy cause, who at the best knows in the end the triumph of high achievement, and who at the worst, if he fails, at least fails while he dares greatly. So his place shall never be with those who are cold and timid, who neither know victory or, de or defeat. If exile is your assignment individually or corporately, relish that you are in the arena exactly where God wants you. And do not be discouraged. Do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go, even in exile. Discouragement. The other thing, and this is my challenge for our church, we need to guard against distraction. In fact, we're going to talk about this in a couple of weeks. We need to decide as a church, are we going to make drama or are we going to make disciples? If you've been around churches long enough, you know exactly what I'm talking about. You can make drama or you can make disciples. So a couple of weeks ago, it was a Monday, I called my wife. I needed to stop by the hospital on the way home and see somebody, and I, I called her on the way home. She said, how was your day? And I go, not good, man, this, this, and this, and this, and I just kind of moaned and groaned for a while, and she took it because she has to. She's my wife, right? So then I stopped off to see a friend of mine at the hospital, and my friend did not know Christ, and so I, it, he went into the ER. He kind of reached this low point, and it was a very unusual conversation. I went into the ER, and he was there in one of the little holding, I say holding cells, holding area. It feels like a holding cell. If you've ever spent time in ER, you'll know. So I go into this little area, and I ask him how he's doing, and I, that's fine, pray for him, and I take his hand, and he's low. So I hold his hand, I pray for him, and at the end of the prayer, he doesn't let go. And I think, has he fallen asleep? <laughs> but his grip was too strong. He was just holding on. And I felt this moment of clarity, and I said to my friend, I'll call him Jack. Jack, has anyone ever explained the gospel to you? He goes, yes. I go, do you mind if I share the gospel with you again? He said, please. And so there for a few moments, in that little holding area in the ER, I shared a very simple message about how God created you. And by the way, God created you. And he created you for a relationship with him. But in human fashion, we messed it all up. We did our own thing. And now that relationship was broken. And that's where Jesus comes in. That's where the cross comes in. Jesus enacted a rescue operation. That's why he came. That's why he died in your place, so that your relationship with God could be restored. I shared all of this with Jack, and I said, Jack, have you ever said yes to Jesus? And he answered as I thought he would, no. I said, would you like to today? Yes. 
I called my wife after that hospital visit, and I said, this has been the best day ever. It was, it was really difficult up to that point. It was a lot of drama. But this was seeing God change a life. I don't know about you, but I feel like God has called me and called us and called you to have the adventure of living in exile where it's difficult. But the benefit is Christ is formed in us, and He's put us in a dark place. And if I think if Jesus were to say anything to all of us today, individually and corporately, we too often look at our circumstances. We look at the 70 years, and we get down. Jesus says, no, look at me. We start looking at our circumstances again. No, look at me. Look at me. Look at me. Look at me. Seek me. Find me. You will discover me when you seek me with your whole heart. Just take that with you today. Jesus saying, look at me. Let's stand together and let's pray together. Thanks so much for listening to our weekly message podcast. At the end of each worship service on Sunday morning, I offer a simple blessing, and I offer that blessing to you today. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make His face shine upon you, and may God grant you peace both now and forever. Amen.